Let's pray. Go ahead and take your scriptures and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 there in the New Testament. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we just uh, praise you for today. Praise you for an opportunity that we have to worship you as the King of Kings. Uh, We thank you for how sweet the worship has been and a reminder uh, to just come to the throne and surrender to you, to be transformed through your love. And Lord, I pray that everything that we do uh, today, that we bring glory to you that we will allow ourselves to be transformed by your love. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, one of my favorite subjects, but it's also a complicated subject, is the church. Because people have so many different perspectives. Just that word alone, church, and what church means. And uh, so that's what we're going to get into today. Uh, I read uh, an interesting thing about uh, this individual wrote 10 things I hate about church. Now, that, this ought to make you feel good. So... Uh, the person who wrote this uh, was having a really bad day. So this isn't uh, somebody that doesn't know the Lord, hates the church. This is somebody very active within the church that just is saying, you know, there's things about the church that drive me nuts. Uh, how many of you here have ever had a bad day going to church? Anyone? Oh, we got a lot of liars here. Okay, so um, if you've had one of these type of mornings, so here's what's going on, and you'll appreciate her occupation. So here's what's happened. She was extremely tired. Uh, she was cranky. Uh, she was running late, and the, the weather was terrible, okay? And she's the minister's wife. So I think that's, it's not Marie, but it was the minister's wife, and these are her thoughts. Now, she didn't vocalize them until why she turned them into a blog, I don't know, but here's what she's saying about church, uh, and she was frustrated. I can't stand the parking situation. I wore heels today, and I feel that pain every time. I wore heels today, I have to walk in the hills. Number two, I'm hungry. They have no food at this church. Now, we do here. So anyway, she was struggling with that. I don't want to greet anyone. How many of you had a Sunday like that? Turn and greet your neighbor. I don't like my neighbor. Okay, so we all had those days, okay? Um, I'm going solo. Ever had one of those Sundays where you walk in and you feel like, you know what? I, I just feel like I'm alone taking this on. Uh, the leaders over the years have let me down. At times, I don't feel like my value, uh, that I'm being valued. And then she paused and said uh, in the blog, and I love this, she said, but in all honesty, I'm frustrated with my church at times because my church is my family, and I get frustrated with my family. She said, skipping church to me would be like skipping Thanksgiving. She said, I sit around the table with my family. They annoy me, and I annoy them, but we love each other because that's what families do. Now, here's, I think, a misconception that a lot of people have. When they say church, they mean the Sunday morning one- to two-hour experience. Do you think that's Jesus' definition of the church? No way. We come here to celebrate, but you're the church. We're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You know when church begins? The moment we walk out these doors. That's the church. You're the church. Living, breathing, every one of us, we're the church. But people have some pretty negative ideas when it comes to the church. You may remember, this is about a year and a half ago, we had a guest speaker from Chicago. His name was Dr. Fooder. Uh, he was with Moody Bible Institute. He does a ton of urban studies. And this was a social experiment that he conducted. Uh, but boy, this is intense. He went to one of the roughest neighborhoods in Chicago at midnight, and he brought two huge poster boards, and he set them up on a, on a, on a, on a stand, and one said, what do you think about the church? And they had a bunch of markers there. And the other one was, 
what do you think about Jesus? What do you think they thought about the church? Well, let me just tell you, I can't repeat it in church. And the students couldn't believe how angry people were. Now, when it came to Jesus, guess what? They loved Jesus. They couldn't say enough. So he said, 4 o'clock in the morning, I took all these students, I sat in the room, and I said, um, you're going into work, and you're going to work with the church. You need to know the people all around you, they're not too crazy about the church. So you need to make sure they know more about Jesus than they do about a church. And that's true. We should love Jesus. It should pour out of everything that we say and we do. Paul David Tripp said this, The church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversation, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people find their faith in Christ and they gather to know and to love others as he designed. See, the church is so much more than just a service. The church is about serving and worshiping God and serving one another. That's the church. That's when the church is alive. That's what we're going to look at this morning in Romans chapter 12. What is it when we look at a missional church? That's what our prayer is. So here's the first thing is that a missional church is biblically sound. Look at Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, worthy of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. I love what it says in the message, same text. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's what we're talking about. We are transformed by what? Renewing our minds. So how do you do that? How do you renew your mind? And it's right here. Any church that doesn't build foundationally on the word, the living word of God, is a church that honestly ought to close its doors. This is God's word. And if we're not biblically sound, again, Shut the doors, because this is where it all begins. It's not man-made rules, it's God. God is the one who rocked this book, and God is the one who's going to rock our lives through this book. Proverbs 23, 12 says, apply your heart to discipline. Philippians 2, 5 says, the mind of Christ, we're to have the mind of Christ. We are to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I worked with young people for years, and this is one of the things that I used to like to do is you get a very controversial statement, and then I would make them go to one room, one side of the room or the other. And one side I'd say, go to my left if you disagree, go to my right if you agree, or you can get right in the middle and ride the fence. And by the way, people who ride the fence never get anything done. Just, just say Okay, so here's this controversial statement, and I want you to think in your mind where you would go with this, agree or disagree. Uh, Warren Worsby said this, truth without love 
is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Let me say that again. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Now, I thought about that. I'm like, man, that is, that is stern. I mean, that's the kind of thing you preach at somebody else's church. I mean, you don't throw that down with friends, do you? And then I started to break it down. I'm like, you know what? I agree with that. Truth without love. Think about that. Have you ever seen that? You ever seen somebody almost use the Bible as a weapon? They can't wait to tell you the truth, but there's not an ounce of love with them. And that is brutal, the collateral damage that can happen. But also, if we just practice love, but we don't share truth, that's really hypocritical. Do you know why? That's not the way Jesus taught, is it? Didn't Jesus love? Absolutely. Did he also share truth? Absolutely. So we need to understand the balance. Acts 17.10, I love this. Paul is talking about the Berean Christians. And he went to the synagogue and he said, here's what he recognized about them. They were always seeking the word eagerly and they were examining the word every day. That should be our mission, to be biblically sound and to seek the word eagerly and to examine the word every day. We're also called as a missional church to unleash God's gifts in us. Romans 12, I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophecy, prophesying, let him use it in the proportion of his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If he is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. And if it is leadership, then let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Spiritual gifts. So here's a question that I had, and maybe you've had the same question. And I sent this out to some friends of mine yesterday uh, to give me feedback. And that is, what's the difference between spiritual gifts and natural gifts? Because in church world, you always hear people say, do you know what your spiritual gift is? And then, do you have your natural gifts, and are they different? And I thought, what is the difference? So let me just break it down for you the best that I can, uh, the difference between natural gifts and spiritual gifts. Uh, when you are in the spirit, or I would say you're in the flesh. So let's just take the ability, one of the spiritual gifts would be leadership. And you're a natural leader. Matter of fact, I know we have some teachers here. I'll put John Fox on the spot and others that are teachers. Uh, when you watch a kid on the playground, can you tell who the leaders of the group are? John, can you tell that? Yeah. Now ask any teacher. No, it doesn't take long to figure out the leaders of the group. Now, natural leaders, can they lead people naturally the wrong way? Anyone? You bet. How many have ever been with a leader like that? Like they, they have a natural gift of leadership in the flesh, they're leading, but they are not bringing glory to God. Now, spirit-filled, you use that same gift, but you take that leadership and your mission is to bring glory to God. That's spiritual giftedness. Does that make sense? Now, here's something else I love about God's spirit in us is when we're off track and we're kind of wavering from the spirit into the flesh, you know what the spirit does? It drills us and says, hey, pal, wrong motive. I don't know if your spirit's done that to you, but it does it to me all the time. You know, preachers have a problem with this sometimes. Did you, you guys, did you know that? Yeah. So a preacher communicates and, and he actually believes sometimes when people go out and go, oh, that, you moved me so much. That was so good. 
And on the way home, I'm like, well, it was pretty good. You know, I mean, you, you can fall into that so quick. I mean, it's just that quick. And I'll sense God's spirit like, who do you think, seriously, who do you think you are? And he's like, matter of fact, we're going to take care of this by the time you get home. I'm calling your wife. You know, and he'll, spirit gets it. Now, we need to understand that every one of us have gifts and abilities, natural gifts and abilities, but are you willing to say, God, I want your spirit to just take that gift, and then I want to give it back to you and glorify you. So I want you to write this word on your bulletins, uh, the three or four of you that are taking notes, but if you want to write this word, shape, write it on your bulletin, and here's what it stands for, because this helps me, and I I stole this uh, from Rick Warren because I absolutely love this. How do you know as you take God's spirit and you want to give it back to him, uh, how do you take shape doing that? So the S is spiritual gifts. There are a lot of ways, if you go online, we can help you with this, is how to identify what is your spiritual gift. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, identify all of these spiritual gifts. And it's important that you take tests to just find out how are you wired spiritually. The H is heart. And the question is simply, what do you love to do? I mean, what are you passionate about? And that can change throughout life. But God can take that passion, and trust me, he can use it in an incredible way. I heard about this conversation that took place. This is a church in Colorado. And this guy was really frustrated, and he came to the ministry, and he said, I I work ridiculous hours all over the place. I can't be in a small group because I can't get my schedule coordinated. Uh, But I want to lead a group. Help me lead a group. And the minister said, what are you passionate about? He said, well... I'd rather not say. It's kind of stupid. He said, no, seriously, what are you passionate about? He goes, well, I love walking other people's dogs. I I walk all these dogs. It it helps me with tension. And he goes, it's crazy, crazy. You can't believe how many dog walkers are in our community. And he started rattling off all the things they do. And he goes, you just found your small group to lead. He said, what are you talking about? He goes, approach at least one or two of those dog walkers and ask them if they would love to join you in a Bible study. A few months later, he called and goes, you can't believe how many dog walkers I've got in this Bible study. And he goes, I feel guilty. Like, is that legal to do that? Because you know, church is supposed to make you feel guilty. And he's like, no, no, no. You should feel great. You're passionate about walking dogs. These people love to walk dogs. Share Jesus, walk dogs, be happy. I mean, that's, we need to realize all of us have things we love and to say, God, how can I use what I love for you? A, Your abilities, all of us through life, we learn special abilities. Now, I'm not talking about uh, the kind of ability, if you saw the movie Taken, you know what I'm talking about? This isn't, I have a peculiar set of skills. I will hunt you down. I will kill you. It's tough to get that to, to align with Jesus, okay? But you all have abilities in this room. You all have things and skills that you've learned. And if you sat back and said, God, I want, I want to use that for you personality. God can take any personality and do amazing things. You may be an introvert. You may be an extrovert. It doesn't matter what life cycle you're in right now. God can use that. Matter of fact, I can just tell you ministry, what I love the most is when I meet really quirky people and I see them surrender that quirkiness to God and then just do amazing things with it. Years ago when I was a youth minister, I'm going to throw down this guy's name. Some of you know him. Uh, in my first night that he was in youth group, he shows up with an electric guitar. His name was Matt. 
I said, so you play guitar? He goes, no. That's like carrying it around. Good to know. Good to know. I'm pretty sure he was, you know what I'm saying? And so I was like, so I'm like, okay, hey, that's, that's great, Matt. And he said, hey, man, I'd love for you to come, you know, uh, see my room where I hang out. And I'm like, uh, uh, okay. So uh, a week or so later, I go see his room. I mean, everything's leopard. This is the 80s. It's leopard skin, neon lights. And uh, I walk out, I'm like, wow. And I think he really wanted me to say, you know, Matt, you may not, you may not like what we're doing to you. And I just put my arm around and said, Matt, you're half nuts. And you know what? I love that about you because I'm half nuts. So here's the deal. Do you have any half nuts friends? He goes, oh, I got a lot of those, you know. Well, bring them to youth group. And I can't tell you how many kids would show up. I never knew what was going to happen. And I'll tell you, what, it was just awesome. I saw Matt going to Bible college, and years later, uh, I just get a random text from him. And he said, hey, John, one thing I want you to know, you never gave up on me. Think of all the people in your life that are unique or quirky, and you got to know God loves them. Some of you may be thinking, man, how could God use my personality? How could God use me? And he can, I'm telling you. And then here's a big one. The E is simply experiences. You all have life experiences that nobody else has. Your story matters. I hear this all the time. Uh, somebody will be hurting, and they'll share their story, and I'll see the tears roll down other people's cheeks, and here's what they'll say. I thought I was alone. I didn't know anybody else had ever experienced that. Don't ever short, sell short your experiences. For God to do something through you, he first has to do something in you, and that's transformation. Last of all is that a missional church is driven, and I mean driven by love. Let me share with you some exceptional news about God's love, starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, I love that, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with, another, with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. A missional church is motivated and driven by love. Let me give an example of what I think love can do. Uh, you may remember a few weeks ago, we had a survey. A lot of you did a handwritten survey on one life. And uh, if you've been visiting with us, uh, you know we spent several weeks, uh, and the, the encouragement and the challenge was to start praying for one person you know who desperately needs Jesus, and then pray for a spiritual conversation. Well, here's what's amazing. Uh, with hard copy surveys and online surveys, they got 1,500 responses. And of those 1,500, 42% said that they were uh, fully engaged with their one life. So here, all these months later, I said, we're still completely in, uh, praying and having spiritual conversations. 
63% of those surveyed said in the last six months that they've had, and I love this, a conversation about faith, their personal faith with somebody who doesn't know Christ yet. Now, folks, that's great news. And you're not going to take that risk to have a spiritual conversation if you don't love Jesus. Because it's hard to do that. And I just want you to know that I'm just so proud that so many folks are taking this seriously with the love that they have for Jesus. I mentioned Doc Fooder, and he did that social experiment. And I thought, what if there was another social experiment here in Bloomington? And here's how it would run. You get a... You get same thing, a huge poster board, you get a stand, and you sit out in front of sample gates, and your goal is to interview a thousand people coming in and out of sample gates, and you ask one question, in one word, describe Jesus. What do you think the word would be? Love. I think you'd have a, a few knuckleheads, you know, that would give another answer, but I got to be honest, I think overwhelmingly people would say, it's love, and I would agree. That's the greatest thing we have. We have love. And i got to be honest, I love uh, the servant heart every Sunday that I see here. Uh, I want to show you a couple of examples. There's so many more I could give. I want to show you a couple of pictures of some folks that have really inspired me. Here's a, look at that. Uh, that's Caitlin, and she was just having a blast setting up, picking up the trash. Uh, I just thought... That's what it's all about. Here's another. I want to show you this. Okay. Look at that. Randy and Mary, they get here every Sunday morning uh, before 7, and uh, they've always just got this, like, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And I can't tell you how many other people do the very same. They don't even, they, nobody would want me to show their pictures. And every day we have an opportunity to simply be the hands and the feet of Jesus and to just pray, Lord, today help me to love the way you love me. Because that's when the church is hitting on all cylinders, when we love like that. A couple of summers ago, I was sitting at the kitchen table uh, with my kids, and they're all 20-somethings, okay? And, uh, and they were all worked up. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not making fun of them. Well, I kind of am. But anyway, they were like, uh, man, has the country ever been at the, at the break, breaking point that is right now? I mean, the violence that's going on, the political, he, they went through the whole, it, it's never been this bad. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's been this bad. It, yeah. And I go, name a year, 1968, thank you very, oh man, I was ready. I said, do you know what happened in 1968? Martin Luther King was assassinated, Robert Kennedy was assassinated, they had riots at the Democratic Convention, they had riots at the Olympics. It was not a good year. I said, the Vietnam War was bearing out. I said, trust me, there was so many protests. There was so much, I mean, angst. So I said, it's hard today, but it's been hard before. And you know what? I had the same argument with my mom. It's never been this bad. My mom's like, oh, please. You're whining about Little League, and I lived through World War II. It's been worse. You know, so we all look back, and we can remember it's been worse. We've all lived that. But I remember, I was telling the kids this, I said, uh, you guys don't know how to rebel. That's your problem. You, you're, you're so you're wimpy at rebel. And I said, oh, you never rebelled. I said, we, in the 70s, early 70s, all the guys rebelled the same way. Anybody remember how we did it? We grew our hair. Pictures you want to forget. Am I the only one? I want to know how many guys, raise your hand, had hair dryers. Raise them right now. Raise it proudly. Yeah, okay. Doug Sanders, I'm so proud of you for doing it. Okay. 
Do you remember going to church in the 70s? Do you remember that? So the older guys, we all had to wear our Sunday best, so you'd have these suits, but all the teenagers came in in the, the hair, and, the, and the, the older guys used to love to go up and go, why don't you cut your hair? You look like a girl. We'd always be like, you know, we would walk around, always love that, okay? That's how weird the 70s were. Okay, now, I want you to think about the early 70s as I tell the story. So just place yourself in what's going on in the world. This is a church out in California, small church, and they were growing, and so it was just jammed. And so literally every chair was taken, every pew was full, and uh, this hippie comes bouncing in, okay? Uh, cut, you know, his jeans are cut up. I mean, this isn't long here. I mean, this is, it's crazy. He's got a T-shirt on, and he's looking around. You know, he, he just shows up a couple minutes for a church, and there's, there's nowhere to sit. So as he's walking, you know what everybody starts doing? Looking at the bulletins. They never look at the bulletins, but now they look at it. They don't want to eye contact with this guy. And he can't find a chair, and he keeps looking, looking. And so finally, he's like, well, I can't find anywhere. So he comes all the way up to the front, and he sits on the floor, okay? Now, every church also has a patriarch. You know what I mean by that? There's always an older gentleman that's always dressed nicer than anyone, and everybody knows, you know, it was Moses, this guy. Okay, there's always church. Okay, so this guy is in the back, and he slowly starts walking down the center aisle. And I mean, now everybody stops looking at their bullets, and they're like, oh, this is not going to be good. And so he gets there, he puts his hand on this guy's shoulder, and he bends over, and what do you think he said? Anyone want to guess? He said, hey, can you scoot over and make room for me? And he sat on the floor the entire service with that guy. And the people in the church were like, oh, that's what love looks like. That's what we're called to do. Not to do what is easy, but to take the risk and to love the way Jesus loved. That's what we should want with every church. That's what makes the church missional. You're grounded in the Word of God. You take the gifts and the abilities and those spiritual gifts, and you move them out, and you serve God, and you bring glory to Him, and then ultimately, every day, you say, God, I want to love the way you love me. I want to love others. I want to love my family. Everything I do, I just want to love that way.